Autodata, trusted by technicians. Easy to follow, step-by-step instructions and imagery for faster fault diagnosis and repairs. Auto repair software you can trust. Hello and welcome to the Professional Motor Mechanic Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Nee, editor of Professional Motor Mechanic magazine. The April issue of PMM is available at your local factor, so why not pop down there and pick up a free copy? This month, we're covering some great topics, including hybrid and electric vehicles, tyres, wheels and alignment, and thermal management systems. Sign up to our email newsletter on our website to make sure you're always up to date with the latest from the aftermarket. I'm going to talk to you about something a bit different this month. Recently, I visited an NHS service centre where I learned about some of the pressures they face, uh, some of which are unique to servicing ambulances, but many of which will be familiar to independent workshops. We found it super interesting, so we thought, why not share it with our listeners? We are facing difficulties, and it's also getting people with the skills and knowledge, and they take time. You know, it takes time to learn these vehicles and to learn all the systems on those vehicles. As usual, you'll hear from Freya Coleman about the latest news in the aftermarket and from Tom Henman, editor of Professional Motor Factor magazine. Imagine both mine and Kieran's surprise then when fellow automotive professionals tapped us on the shoulder at a recent event to tell us exactly what they thought of the podcast. Okay, now over to Freya for some news. Thanks, Kieran. I'm Freya Coleman, PMM's news and products editor here to bring you this month's aftermarket news. And now for the headlines. Government outlines roadmap to 2030 zero emissions transport. DVSA issues an apology for inappropriate advisory notices. Are vehicle repair prices increasing? The government has launched a consultation on its plans for a zero emission vehicle or ZEV mandate, which will force manufacturers to sell a certain proportion of EVs leading up to the 2030 phase-out of petrol and diesel vehicles. The proposed minimum ZEV target trajectory for new cars sold begins at 22% in 2024, increasing to 80% in 2030 and 100% in 2035. Paul Mauerhoff, media manager at the SMMT, said, While the proposals rightly reflect the sector's diversity, Late publication and lack of regulatory certainty make product planning near impossible and the continued lack of clarity as to what technologies will be permitted beyond 2030 undermines any attempts to secure investment. What do you think of the roadmap? Will you have your say? Email me your opinions at fcoleman at hamerville.co.uk Following a number of offensive comments from MOT records circulating on social media, the DVSA has been made to apologise. Comments included, beautiful owner, owner needs a haircut, and number of watsits in the glove box below requirements. The agency has said it is investigating misuse of its free text advisory feature, following up with any testers or garages who were found using the function inappropriately. According to a study from Intelligent Motoring, the cost of vehicle repairs rose by 40% between 2018 and 2022, The company's CEO puts this down to both the 2016 Brexit referendum and the knock of COVID-19. With the rising cost of parts, the cost of living increase and inflation, this comes as no surprise. Moreover, 
According to leading industry experts, independent garages regularly undercharge for their work. Lastly, PMM has confirmed it will be hosting a stand at this year's Auto Mechanica Birmingham, which will take place at the NEC in Birmingham on the 6th, 7th and 8th of June. Come and visit our stand for your chance to be featured on the podcast. That's the news this month from PMM. And now, back to Kieran. Before I take you to our main feature, I'd like to share a message from Top Don with you. Many garages up and down the country are feeling the pressure of having to send jobs away to the vehicle manufacturers due to the inability to complete certain diagnostic procedures. Top Don believes they may be able to help you keep more jobs in-house with the cloud-based programming that comes included with the Phoenix range of diagnostics, or even the remote functions available with the Phoenix Remote. All the Top Don Phoenix products now come with a six-month subscription to Diagnose Dan TSB software. As well as diagnostic tools, Top Don UK also have a range of add-on products ranging from battery support, key programming, and ADAS calibration equipment. So where can you get your hands on one of the range? Top Don UK sell through an authorised distributor network, which can be found on the Where to Buy page of the website, www.topdondiagnostics.co.uk. It was at our annual Mechanics Trade Show last year that Ross Crook and John Giles, area workshop managers for the NHS's South East Coast Ambulance Service, first approached the PMM team to ask if there was any way we could help. Now, not being the handiest of people, editors really are, we asked how we could possibly be of any use to someone in charge, not just of repairing vehicles, but repairing actual life-saving ambulances. Now, I like to think my editorial viewpoints are somewhat interesting and maybe raise the odd smile, but they're hardly emergency service levels useful. And then came the familiar lament. One we've grown so used to hearing in recent years, it's almost becoming a cliché. We can't get any staff. It's becoming a real problem. So I went along to the services Make Ready Centre in Banstead, one of the 12 workshops that Ross and John oversee, covering over 600 vehicles to find out more about what is involved in repairing vehicles for the NHS. Each workshop has between four and six technicians on site, working seven days a week, 52 weeks a year including early and late shifts. So let's go to Banstead now, where Ross is explaining the day-to-day work that goes on at the centre. So yeah, as you can see here, we've got one on the lift itself that we're just going through the service and maintenance. So we've got all of our checks on our fleet management system. So we run a number of services and they're all based on either time or mileage. Okay. Um, what we also have to consider is that because we need to make sure the vehicle maintains operations as much as possible a lot of ours is not just planned but also preventative maintenance right so a lot of the um, guidelines that we have are above and beyond what the, the manufacturer or you know the general road user might use so for example we might have our brakes are all replaced at 50 percent mm. our tires are all replaced at three or four mil depending on the vehicle model so then that allows us to run those vehicles knowing that they are safe and that they can attend a patient at any time. There is a flip side to this prudence, and it's worth pointing out that Ross's crew are subject to the same cost restrictions as the rest of the civil service. What we're doing, as I say, is a lot of the maintenance that we have is preventative maintenance, and it's really trying to ensure that those vehicles are available all the time. But we also have to get the balance right financially, 
because also you know we need to consider that you know we are an outfit that's spending money and that we need to make sure that we're getting value for money for our users and for our trust and for the wider nhs as might be imagined sourcing parts at a moment's notice isn't quite as simple as going down to the local factor and certain online marketplaces are certainly out of the question and ross you you have a, a background in independent workshops yourself yeah so obviously i did my apprenticeship in um in vehicle maintenance and then i worked in the aircraft industry for a while so that was really interesting and i've been able to bring some of that into the vehicle side of things as well yeah. um so yeah i, I really appreciate some of the tr- the struggles the independent teams face well what, what, what do you think are the main differences then between uh, kind of nhs workshop and, a, and an independent workshop i think here obviously there's a lot of policies and procedures that we need to follow we have a lot of frameworks that we need to work with so you know, some of our suppliers are set up through certain frameworks, so that makes it slightly challenging in getting parts at times because of the framework. Um, I think just the sheer complexity of our vehicles as well. We've got, you know, okay. we've got the equipment to look at. Yep. Um, we've got some of the vehicles have got ramp and winches in order to bring the stretcher onto the vehicle. We've got a tail lift assembly. And also what we've got is a bespoke built vehicle, which has got you know a chassis cab on some of them and then a box body and there's a lot of integration of systems there so we've got your blue lights for example we've got all these extra ecus that control things in the back we've got additional heating and cooling we've got additional braking so for example this vehicle we've got here today has got an electromagnetic brake underneath to improve the braking system right um and then what we have got as well is we've got a lot of um as I say, the, the patient equipment and also the MDT and the communications department. So when the, when the uh, teams get a job come through, it all comes up onto a digital screen for them. The sat-nav links it to that, and then that way they can then go off to their job. It's got all the details and information. We've got handheld radios. We've got base radios, which are in there. So there really is such a complex array of, of equipment on these. So really, the uh, the kind of mechanical fixes is just a small percentage of, of the things you have to go through on one of these ambulances. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the mechanical fixes are, you know, they are there. Um, we do get through that because we also cover such an, um, a huge amount of mileage. You know, any one of our vehicles can be doing upwards of a thousand miles a week, you know, and some of them, they're non-stop. So they come in, they're cleaned and then they're back out again. You know, so they really are used to the maximum capacity. They cover such a large geographic as well. So, you know, we have some areas that do more in suspension. We have some areas that may do more in engines and brakes, depending on the geographic of where they are. Yes, yeah, I imagine the suspension takes a bit of a knocking Mm. on, on these things. Yeah, definitely. But what we can really do is because we have so many workshops, we can draw information from others. So what is fantastic is that we've got a network between us where we can communicate internally. So we have those, you know, those areas which we can, you know, phone another workshop. We can contact another member of staff. We've got, you know, some workshop managers. We've got some area managers. We've got, you know, an insight into all of that. And we've got some other areas and avenues of support that we can really draw from in order to try and get the answer whereas obviously some of the independent garages they're really facing these challenges on their own. But such an accelerated service schedule has unexpected consequences as Ross explains. 
Absolutely. And uh, I imagine some of the challenges you face, some of the sort of uh, the, the issues and the problems, they're quite unique. They're, they're not common problems. Yeah, definitely. And because, again, because we're doing so many miles and because we have such a number of vehicles, we probably see faults even before the manufacturer sees them yeah. because we just use them in such a way yeah. that means that we come across that a lot sooner than others. And do you feed that information back to the manufacturer yeah i think we have an ongoing relationship with them where we try and feed back information to them and we try and draw out information from them beyond the advanced technological solutions put to use by the service to ensure a steady balance of jobs throughout the year it's a distinctly human problem which ross is struggling to solve getting people through the door in the first place but would you say that skills shortages are the, are the biggest challenge you face? Definitely. I think skills challenges across the board. I mean, I've been listening to your podcast for some time now and I've talked to, you know, independent garages. I've talked to the manufacturer garages. We've also talked to other ambulances and other blue light response teams. And it seems that there really is a national skills shortage for people. Um, and it, it is something that's really hitting us hard. I mean, we've got vacancies and recruiting for that is difficult. You are, you are facing difficulties on, on that front as well here. Yeah, definitely. We are facing difficulties and it's also getting people with the skills and knowledge and they take time. You know, it takes time to learn these vehicles and to learn all the systems on those vehicles. Um, and even in the independent garages and any other garages, because we work on such a variety of vehicles, it's trying to get that balanced knowledge mm. between them. Would you say it's a new problem though or is it, is it getting worse? I think it's definitely getting worse. Um, it's certainly something I've seen. I mean, even when I'm driving around visiting site to site, I notice that there's a lot more vacancy bulletins out there. There's a lot more people looking on these professional avenues for, you know, technicians. And it's certainly something we've seen an increase on. Um, and what we're mindful of is that, you know, when we have staff, you know, that may be retiring or leaving the trust, what we want to try and ensure is that we can you know, utilise and teach the new people coming in all of those skills that they have accrued over the time they've been with us. But it just makes it really difficult with the shortage to get people in on those timeframes. Do, do you get many apprentices applying at all? Or um, Yes, we get a number of apprentices applying, but unfortunately at the moment we don't have a, a programme for the apprenticeships. It's something that we would like to do in the future, uh, but it's something that has to be um, as I was mentioning earlier, where we have to go through certain frameworks and things like that is something that has to be agreed at, at like a national level. Yep, yep. In your opinion, at least, why, why do you think there is a, a shortage of, of people willing to be tech, technicians? These days? I think it's the challenges that we face within the um, industry. You know, it's, it's a continual challenge. What we've got to remember as well is there's lots of things. Our vehicles are continually updating, you know, and it's trying to get the balance between getting people on training, getting them involved. And I think like was mentioned at the mechanics show was just around getting people engaged with these, going to schools, showing people the careers and stuff. And, you know, I think that's why today was really important is just showing people that places like this do exist because a lot of people don't know that ambulance and blue light service maintenance for vehicles in some areas is done in-house what would you say to any listeners um listening and thinking you know that sounds interesting i'd like to get involved yeah definitely i mean i would always keep an eye out on the nhs websites and keep an eye on those things look at what opportunities are available because it's not just our trust it's national um and i would just you know i would really encourage people to just try and engage with 
you know each other and and have that level of communication and um you know with the independent garages and things like that you you guys are not alone in that we're facing things with staff shortages we're facing challenges with manufacturing and and stuff like that so you know it's it's not just any specific area of the industry it's affecting everyone all right fantastic well thank you ross that was uh, very informative uh thank you i hope you enjoyed visiting ross as much as i did his passion for the industry was infectious from the moment we met and it was really great to see how the nhs is dealing with common problems facing independent garages right without further delay let's get the latest from the motor factors from tom After another desperately disappointing and bruising defeat for my beloved Leicester City, I needed a pick-me-up. What better way to do that than record the next PMF segment for the Simply Sensational PMM podcast? The whole team is incredibly grateful to those that tune in to every episode. I'll confess, not doubting our ability to make interesting podcasts, but like anything that's put to market, we genuinely had no idea how well this podcast malarkey would be well-received. Imagine both mine and Kieran's surprise then when fellow automotive professionals tapped us on the shoulder at a recent event to tell us exactly what they thought of the podcast. Thankfully, they were very kind. However, if there are areas where you think we can improve or there's content angles that we're missing, please get in touch. In fact, get in touch with Kieran, not me. As you can tell, I'm filling time. It's about now where I'd hand over to my interviewee. However, in this episode, I'm not able to bring you an interview due to unforeseen circumstances. Therefore, I thought it would be a good idea to bring you up to speed with some of the stories that have been doing the rounds over the last few weeks. You might be aware of them and some of the details, but nevertheless, it's good to provide a summary. Once again, your thoughts are welcome. Let's start with the public MOT consultation period that is now concluded. I think it's fair to say that the industry's view is largely one-sided. It is against the idea of extending the first MOT from three years to four. And, according to a study carried out by the AA, more than three-quarters of the 14,500 drivers quizzed are also opposed to the idea. At the time of recording, there is no indication of when the government's public consultation report will be published. However, we await it with bated breath. Another story that's caused a bit of a stir is LKQ Corporation's buyout of GSF Car Parts parent company, Uniselect. It has been a story that has created much talk and speculation since it broke at the end of February. Starting at the beginning, I received a press release from GSF Car Parts on the 27th of February that announced the takeover. Within the statement, it confirmed that LKQ will undertake a process to divest GSF Car Parts due to anticipated regulatory measures. Essentially, the operations of GSF will remain independent from those of LKQ until that process has been completed. Interestingly, on the 9th of March, this point was emphasised in another statement, this time by LKQ in the hope that it would reassure the UK market that we remain committed to competition in the sector. Furthermore, on the 15th of March, the Independent Garage Association released its own statement, confirming that GSF had contacted the trade body to offer reassurance to it and its independent garage members that the motor factor business will indeed be fully divested in terms of part supply in the UK, essentially quashing any fears of a supply monopoly. IGA Chief Executive Stuart James said, we welcome engagement with the parts sector to ensure garages have access to a fair and competitive aftermarket parts supply chain. And we are satisfied that GSF management are committed to ensuring full and fair competition is in place. It is clear from our dialogue with GSF that they are aware of the concerns of the sector and plan on making sure their customers continue to receive a quality and competitive service, ensuring businesses and consumers alike continue to benefit from a fair marketplace. 
Once again, at the time of recording, there have been no further statements or developments. It is a case of business as usual, as GSF asserted in its original statement, which I'm sure is excellent news for the 2,500 people that work across the business. The last story, or event I should say, I want to pick up on before handing back to Kieran is Automechanica Birmingham 2023, which is looming ever nearer. I'm delighted to announce that for the first time, PMF will be exhibiting at the event. The three-day exhibition takes place between the 6th and 8th of June and you're very welcome to join me and the team on the stand for Anatta. We'd be delighted to host you. What's more, we'll be right next to our friends at PMM. Right, I think that's enough time filled. Until next time, Kieran, back to you. Cheers, Tom. It sounds like there's a lot going on with Motor Factors right now that workshops should definitely be aware of. I want to say thank you to all of our guests and to our sponsors this month, Autodata and Topdon. Thank you to the whole team for making this happen and thank you for listening. I know I said this last month, but this time I promise it's true. Next month, we're striving for success. For many, mechanical repairs is the easy part of running a workshop business. So what can you do to turn a struggling business into a successful one? See you in May.